Hello, everyone. Welcome to the B2B Marketing Podcast. My name is David Rowlands. I'm the head of content at B2B Marketing and Propolis, which is the global community for B2B marketers. And I'm joined today by Rahul Titus, who is the global head of influence at marketing agency Ogilvy. So, Rahul, thank you very much for joining me today. How are you doing? Not too bad at all. Thank you for having me. That's okay. First thing on a Monday as well. So um, please excuse me if I'm sounding decaffeinated and, and, and a bit tired. I mean, I'm in my second coffee, so I am ready to go. Good, good. I'm glad, I'm glad to hear. <laughs> so, um, well, look, thank you very much for joining me. I think before we go any further and start talking about the sort of world of influence marketing, it'd just be good to understand a bit about, you know, yourself and, and your sort of background in B2B and, and your role at Ogilvy today. Sure. Um, my name is Rahul Titus. I'm the global head of influence at Ogilvy, which means I look after influence marketing. So that could be everything from celebrities all the way down to employee advocacy, influencers, uh, everything in between. Um, I've been doing it for about 12 years, which I think makes me the oldest person working <laughs> in influence marketing, which is sad but true. Yeah. Um, you know, that's how young this, uh, you know, this whole uh, industry is. But that's also really exciting, right? Um, it is it is a brand new industry um, and, you know, that that has its own challenges. Um, so I started at Densuigis, uh, went on to Mediacom, where I did media, you know, media buying and planning. And then there was this thing called YouTube that was starting to just come up. And you had these YouTubers, um, you know, which was really fascinating about 10 years ago. And I still remember going to my boss at the time, you know, Karen Blackett, who is the, uh, you know, now the country manager for WPP uh, in the UK. And I said, there's, there's this thing called YouTube and I think there's something in it. And she said, go try it out. And I remember getting my first brand deal for, you know, for a very big beauty brand and just seeing those views come in and I've never looked back and I've, you know, done it since. I've been at Ogilvy for about six years um, and I've been doing influencer marketing, you know, all that time. Fantastic. Well, we're here to obviously to discuss your the kind of latest report from Ogilvy, um, which suggests that influence marketing has now hit a tipping point, as you say, um, with 75% of B2B marketers now investing. So my question is, how are they investing that money uh, exactly? And how has it actually evolved from five years ago? Is it, is it being invested in the same way or is it sure. completely different? Great question. So I think, I think when people think of influence marketing in the world of B2B, I think a lot of people get really scared, mm. firstly. They think... We're talking about dancing TikTokers, <laughs> and 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 we're really not. You know, the space of influence, as as I call it, is actually evolved quite a lot. Um, and when we say influence, we mean anybody that has influence that are credible in their space, right? So in the world of B two B, what that translates to are, you know, um, scientists, doctors, employees, you know, people with technical knowledge, um, and these are influencers. And I think the second, you know, thing. I'd, I, I want to say is that I also don't think, you know, when we say influencers, we mean influencers on LinkedIn. Mm. LinkedIn is a great platform. It's got over 500 million followers right now, um, you know, viewers right now. And then obviously uh, that's a great starting point, but influence is so much bigger than that. Um, when I So when we talk of influence marketing at Wallaby 2 b what we're talking about, people that are using their influence to really start, um, you know, creating credible conversations that, that, that really help that value chain move on. Because at the end of the day, we know this, right? Um, 90% of marketers don't believe that um, brand messaging on its own is mm. effective anymore. Um, you really need to have these authentic voices that actually bring it into the forefront. And that's what B2B influencers do for you yeah. as a brand. That's really interesting. So is it about starting credible conversations? And it's not about, you know, as we see on kind of Instagram and a B2C world, yeah. just being, you know, having a, a celebrity endorse yeah. a product or service. Exactly that. And I think, you know, there's one thing that makes 
influence really effective, which is people trust people more than they trust brands. Mm. And that hasn't changed in the last 12 years, right? Authenticity is what makes this whole industry work. And I think in the space of B2B, we're we we really starting to see marketeers, um, you know, take that message on and, you know, take that message on properly and, and you know, really do it right. Um, which does translate to, to using these influencers in the most credible way for their channel. Yeah, I think when we talk about influencer marketing, it it's obviously can be an incredibly powerful strategy or tactic, but historically it's been something that's picked up more momentum on the B2C side of things. And in B2B, it's kind of, I think fair to say, it's, it's never been super sort of central to people's mm -hmm. strategies. So from your point of view, what's actually changed? Why, why is it now uh, picking up so much pace? Um, I think it's picking up pace because people are, you know, realizing that we don't live in a world where B2B exists in a completely, you know, separate uh, ecosystem. Mm. B2B and B2C are very connected because, again, at the end of the day, we are humans, right? Mm. We have our work life and we've got our personal life. But again, with the way you've got digital natives now, um, you know, really working, um, you live in a very digital native world where all these worlds come together, right? Yeah. So it really is B2H. It's business to human. Um, you know, yes, you might have LinkedIn on your phone. You might be reading a trade journal, but you're also on TikTok. You're mm. also on Instagram. You're also, you know, reading the news. So for us, in a in a new blurred reality, marketers are really understanding that you have to treat that that world in a new world, you know, um, in, in, in a new way. And I think that's where B2B influencers are becoming really interesting, right? Because what they bring to the table is really that credibility to that message that goes beyond, you know, happy laptop man. Yeah. <laughs> right? Which again, in the world of IT, you see all the time, right? I'm sure you've seen those photos of a happy laptop man or woman, yep. um, you know, selling a product. Um, that doesn't work anymore. Mm. And and I think the more I'm talking to marketers, the more I'm seeing that they actually understand that. They need these voices to actually help elevate the brand conversation they're happening. Yeah. You know, that's that's already happening and also happening in different ecosystems. Because again, people use their brand marketing in very specific channels. What influencers bring is a whole new array of channels that have never been used before, right? And these channels change as well. So if you look at um, our report, you know, where we interviewed 550 CMOs, what we saw is that these channels change by market and by region. You know, in a, in a market like the UK, as you'd, as you'd imagine, LinkedIn's the biggest channel and that mm -hmm. makes perfect sense. But if you look at um, a lot of Africa, it's actually YouTube, Right. And the top influences there are actually scientists. It's not CMOs. It's not employees. If you look at a market like, um, you know, Saudi Arabia, um, it's it's actually Instagram and Facebook. Yeah. Um, so these channels are changing and these channels also bring in a new perspective to the world of B2B. That's really interesting. And I, I think if you're competing in the same channel as, say, you know, B2C brands, do you find that B2B um, marketers are having to make their content a little bit more, a bit more entertaining, basically? Because frankly, if I'm scrolling through Instagram or whatever it yeah. is, I'm probably, and maybe this says more about me, I'm probably quite unlikely to watch a reel about the latest report by X brand. I'm more likely to watch some stupid video of, you know, that's just looping for 10 seconds. Yeah. I mean, I know what you mean. So I think, I think, I think that's the point, right? Mm. Our worlds now are so intertwined. B2B and B2C don't exist in two separate ecosystems, which mean that you have to be competing with B2C brands. And I think B2B marketers know that, right? You, you no longer can separate those two worlds, which means that yes, the world of B2B needs to get more exciting, more entertaining, more fun. 
Um, but again, that's where these influences are absolutely perfect because what they bring to the table is all those factors. Mm. You know, they bring that spice, they bring that excitement to the world of B2B. Um, and I think the brands that are starting to do that are starting to really reap that benefit, right? Yes, you're competing with uh, a dancing TikToker, <laughs> right? But if you do it right, you will grab that attention much more. And if you look at channels like TikTok, you'll see the, you know, you'll see the content changing really quickly as well, depending on the algorithm and your feed, right? It's no longer based on number of followers. It's based on, you know, what people like. Mm. Um, so that follower count doesn't matter anymore, right? So you could have a dermatologist with 20 followers being much more effective than an influencer with 10 million followers. Mm. Um, and that is the world of TikTok today and the world of social media, you know? Um, so yes, you're competing with that same space. And I think, but that's the, but that's the exciting bit, but that's also the challenge for, you know, for like brands in the 21st century. Yeah. I mean, what are some of the challenges of actually working with influencers? Because having spoken with people in the world of PR, yes. um, you know, that they're, <laughs> you know, their opinions on influencers aren't always, the, aren't always great, you know. Yeah. Um, admittedly, that might just be the industry that, that <laughs> they're in. But it, are there any challenges working with them? How, how do you work with them? Yes. Yeah, so I think influencer identification and vetting has never been more important, mm. right? If you pick the wrong influencer, that really has implications for you as a brand, especially in the world of B2B, right? So the risk is much higher, in the world of B2B, and I think that's a real consideration you have to keep in mind when you start that journey. But if you pick the right influencer, those benefits outweigh those you know, risks as well. Mm. So what I would advise to brands that are starting off on that journey is really spend the time making sure that that influencer is the right fit for your brand. And there's many ways to do that. There's so much technology that's out there that helps you vet influencers, everything from identifying their followers, you know, where their audiences are at, what they've said in the past, their social media background, all these things make a difference because what you don't want to do is pick somebody wrong and that comes back to bite you and you go into crisis mode. Yeah. Um, and you know, so so those PR practitioners who are telling you that is risky is is right because again, that's, that's a real risk if you get it wrong. Um, so influence ident you know, identification vetting is a really good starting point. Get that right and you've already you know, solved 30% of your problem. Then I think the type of content they produce and actually what they're influential for. Um, I think for a B2B brand starting off on that journey, it's also really important to make sure that you are picking the right influences from the spectrum of influence, as we call it. So when I say spectrum of influence, I don't mean just, you know, dancing TikTokers. It's everybody from a celebrity. It's a big macro influencer on YouTube. It's your, uh, you know, academics. It's your uh, lecturers. It's your scientists. It's your professors. It's your accountants. The real experts in that, in that field make a big difference. Employees are really interesting influencers. Mm. You know, one of the big things we saw in our survey was that employee advocacy was one of the most underrated part of the spectrum of influence. People, you know, you know, B2B practitioners understand and appreciate the importance of, um, you know, employees as influencers, but they don't know how to use that. Mm. And it's a really interesting stat that we saw on LinkedIn, which is the collective power of your um, employee network is 10 times larger than your company. You know, and so if you are a B2B brand, why would you not be embracing that advocacy power mm. and really bringing that into your own? So again, really important part. And, you know, then your, cons your, your consumers are really interesting influencers as well. You know, testimonials have worked in the world of B2B for a very long time. And there's a reason for that. If you, if you manifest that work in the right marketing ecosystem, they become the right influencers for you as well. So really take the time to figure out what your spectrum of influence looks like 
and get that spectrum right because that makes a big difference. And I think thirdly, the content. Spend the time making sure that content is right for your audience. You know, A-B test it. Make sure that works with your audience before you actually put it out in the marketplace. Again, so if you if you if you get those three things right, <laughs> you have a very successful B2B marketing strategy that is influencer powered. Yeah. I mean, employee advocacy is a really interesting one. It's not something I typically think of as influence marketing, but I guess, you know, it is. They're influencing people's opinion of, of your business. So why wouldn't it be? My question, though, how do you actually make the most, how, how do you actually get your employees to advocate your business without kind of forcing them, without forcing them to put, you know, five star reviews on Glassdoor and stuff like that? Is yeah. there a way you can do it more naturally? Yes. I would not think putting five star reviews on Glassdoor is a good <laughs> influencer marketing strategy anyways, right? So I think, you know, and I think that's a great starting point. So you're right, getting employees to be advocates for your business is not easy. What we recommend to our, our brands that we work with is actually start by auditing your employees, figure out who your next generation of advocates are, mm. right? Figure out who they are first and then train them, work with them. Because again, it's much easier to work with somebody who is a super fan of your company yeah. than trying to convert somebody who isn't. Right, so I think the first step would be figure out who your right advocates are within your employee network, and then empower them to basically do that. You know, to to do advocacy in the right way, which which doesn't mean force feeding their messages. What it means is you know giving them the right framework, and then letting them really be advocates for your business. Mm. And again, if you give them the right framework, you know you can let them color inside that box. You know, I mean, as long as they color inside that box, what they color doesn't matter, right? Yeah. So, and I think that's how uh, advocacy works. So when you start thinking of employee advocacy through the lens of influence, you suddenly add so much more perspective to that space. It's no longer write me a review. You know, yeah. it, 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 it gets into a really colorful space where again, you can really use that more effectively. So what I mean by that, employees also, you know, want a chance to shine, bring them front and, um, you know, center of your marketing is a great way to do employee advocacy. Mm. You know, use them in your ads. Um, who better to talk about your brand than the people who work at your brand, right? So there's many ways that brands are need to do this. But what's really exciting for me is that it's so it's so in its infancy. So for me, I think in the next 12 months, if I was to you know predict where the space is going, I think employee advocacy is going to be the biggest um, you know uh, growth in the world of B2B influence. Interesting. Why, why over the next 12 months in particular? Uh, because we because we from what I'm seeing is just starting to get on that journey. You know, for the first time, you're seeing marketers connect that piece to mm -hmm. influence marketing. I think so far, you've always had employee advocacy sit very separately to the space of influence marketing and to marketing. Yeah. Right. So advocacy and marketing together, you know, they've never sat in the same department, uh, you know, let alone in the same sentence. Right. Yeah. So now that you're starting to see those teams collaborate and work together, you suddenly have a really, you know, a really powerful way to recruit new talent, mm -hmm. retain new talent, but also use your talent as part of your marketing. And that's really powerful. And we haven't seen that happen yet. So it's the first time I'm seeing that happen. Um, you know, we have a lot of brands who are now very much at the start of the journey, where they're starting to audit their employees. They're trying to figure out who their super fans are. Um, and, you know, I'm pretty certain we're going to start looking at them becoming front and center of their marketing strategies. Yeah, that's really interesting. And I think the other thing that interests me about that is that we're talking again about another thing that marketers are now having more of a say in. And that's just been a long term trend over the last I, I don't know how many years. Is this an, another instance of marketing becoming more central to, uh, to any business, do you think? 
without a doubt. I think marketing should always be very central to any business that you do. Um, and I think in the world of B2B, the, the opportunity is bigger, mm. right? Because unlike the world of B2C that comes with its own complexities around a very large consumer base, um, you know, there's so many issues in the world of B2C, right? B2B, I think, is a little bit easier in the sense that those challenges are actually quite limited, so which is a great starting point because you know what that means is that you can influence that whole con- you know end to end consumer journey much better mm-hmm. than you can in the world of B2B, and you know that's a really interesting opportunity for marketers. And I think the other thing is creativity in the space of B2B is so underrated and also I'd say quite lackluster, right? Um, again. There's such a big space for good creativity to come in and really transform how we do B2B. That's really interesting for me as a challenge as well. And I think that's why you're starting to see B2B brands be braver and bolder um, and actually, you know, put marketing at the heart of their strategy because they don't have an option. Mm. That's that's the world we live in today. You know, it doesn't exist on its own. It, it you know, accountancy talk. Um, you know, you have you have concrete influences on TikTok today. Yeah, you know, you've got you've got supermarket influencers. I mean, these are real people creating B two B content that has the power to influence your, you know, end to end process. So why would you not use them? Yeah, no, it's, it's a really good point. I mean, I, I think one question that kind of springs to mind is that. You know, we've we've mentioned how you kind of work with employees on an influencer side. You know, you don't tell them what to say. You basically you kind of give them the framework to work within, and that all sounds great. But when you're working with you know, like traditional influencers, you know, the scientists you've mentioned or yes. whoever it might be. What is the best way to work with them? Is it about giving them specific scripts to follow or is it about figuring out how they like to yeah. do things and then basically, again, giving them a kind of framework? Yeah, I think working with experts is always going to be very interesting, right? Unlike celebrity marketing, where you're picking uh, an influencer based on their fame or employee advocacy, where you're picking them based on their knowledge of the company, or, or consumers where you're basing, you know, where you're picking people based on testimonials. In the world of experts, what you're bringing them to do is the technical ability, you know, ability to explain how your product works in the real world. You know, product or service works in the real world. Um, and when you pick them, it's very important that they are true experts in that space, and they bring a perspective that is an independent perspective that can add value to the color you're painting in, right? Yeah. And that's really, really important because. I think experts, if they don't have that expertise in that space, um, your consumers are going to see through that immediately, right? So they need to be true experts. They need to be independent. So yes, you're paying them, you know, potentially there's a there's a value exchange there for them becoming part of your conversation. Um, but that value exchange should not um, imply a favorable point of view just because that's, you know, that's the value exchange, right? Yeah. So it's very important to make sure that they have their expertise plus that independent point of view that actually adds, you know, a different perspective to your brand messaging. Because to be honest, your brand messaging is going to do a very specific job around talking about your product and service. What your influencer is supposed to do is is actually that lower funnel consideration job. It's not the awareness job, right? So if you start thinking of your, you know, end-to-end journey as awareness, consideration, and sale, mm-hmm. um, a lot of the work we see in B2B influencer marketing today happens at the awareness part of the funnel, but actually where I find it more interesting and actually more effective is going lower funnel. Um, and, you know, we are, and we're starting to see brands really embrace that. And what I mean by that is that, you know, we have a lot of brands now who bring in those experts um, 
into their company perspective. So that could be, you know, taking them to clients. Um, they bring in these experts to give them a point of view on their product as part of product testing and product road mapping. Um, you're seeing these, you know, these experts come in as part of research. Mm. Um, and again, all of that is influence, right? Because when you start bringing these influences on the journey from the very start, they're much more likely to give you a positive, you know, real point of view yeah. at the very end of it. So yeah, expertise comes with its own challenges, but the value add, if you get it right, is incredibly important and brands are starting to see that. Yeah. So I think one of the other problems that always comes up in any sort of marketing discussion is, is how do we prove the value of marketing? And it's yes. a problem that marketers have faced forever. And I think, you know, being slightly cynical, I think they will continue to yes. face that challenge. How can they measure and prove the success of their influencer marketing? Yeah, that's a great question. So influencer marketing, if you think of it as an industry, is about six years old, mm. right? B2B influence, um, you know, Ogilvy was the first agency to launch um, a specialist B2B influencer offering about 18 months ago. That's how new the B2B influencer space is. Again, word of mouth has existed in many ways, so is employee advocacy, but the first time you're packaging it up in a new effective, you know, way that we sell is influence. So obviously it's not new. Mm. What is new is the industry, which means that measurement around the space is still quite lacking, mm. right? But one of the big, you know, study, uh, sorry, findings from the study we saw is that B2B marketers are seeing value, 40% um, ROI if you measure it right. And, you know, when we say measure it right, it's making sure that you have the right KPIs at the start, which very much starts as defining where influence is going to play, playing a role for you from the very start. Is it awareness? Is it consideration? Is it sale? Is it full funnel? Mm. Right? So really thinking about what that looks like is really, really important, one. Because, again, if you don't know what you're measuring, um, you're not going to get an ROI at uh, the end of it, right? So I think start with what that, you know, measurement framework looks like. Secondly, connected to your marketing channel. You know, one of the things we we normally say is that influence as an organic channel can be effective, especially with channels now made for virality on social media. But if you don't connect it to the rest of the work you do, it's pretty ineffective, mm. you know? So there's a, there's, a, there's a piece of Ogilvy research that says that every channel you connect to influencer marketing, the ROI from that channel goes up 33%. Right, so be it a paid channel, so you know, using your influences as part of your paid media ads, using your influences, you know, in point of sale testimonials, in packaging, all these things really add ROI. So mm. whilst we are still at the very start of the ROI conversation, and you know, there are ways to measure ROI. To be clear, you can measure influence as part of your MMR, you know, modeling. You can do econometrics to figure out how your you know influence is working. You can track direct sales. So you can do everything you can do with any other channel. It's not that you can't, right? But where I think you will probably have more value today is connecting the dots into an integrated system that really helps talk of marketing as an ecosystem. Yeah. Not on its own. Uh, okay, fantastic. So I'd like to talk about some of the risks as well. So I, I can imagine a world, and this is a, um, you know, I'm, I might be fear-mongering a bit, but whatever. Go for it. So what? Um, <laughs> yeah, so. Exactly. I, exactly. So I can imagine a world in which, um, you know, you've, you've paid an influencer to work with you. They've done some great work for you. Sure let's say the relationship has become strained or, or for just you've decided just not to continue working with them for whatever reason. Mm -hmm. Maybe their their uh, their audience isn't relevant to you anymore or something along those lines. Sure. There's a risk there, I think, in that you've now got a person who's got their own massive network, which is obviously why you've worked with them in the first place, yeah. who might be in a position to start sort of turning people off your brand. Is, is that a real risk or am I just being scared? 
I think that's a that's that's a great question and that's a real risk. Mm. And that's a risk with any marketing, right? You could have you could have a client who's been your client for 10 years who's now turned to a different vendor mm. and that testimonial goes away and they and they could use word of mouth because again in the world of B2B it's not about scale, we know that. It's 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 having the right conversations because these conversations are already happening, right? So as a brand, you either own it or you let the community own that conversation. Mm. What we're saying is as a brand, you now because of how you know the workflows is for the you know workforce for the first time is digitally native, right? You have the opportunity to control that conversation. But these conversations are going to happen anyways. Yeah. Right? So that so that client of 10 years who's now gone to a different vendor could go around to their 10 other, you know, very important decision makers and say, "Well, I don't like X company anymore. I'm using Y." And was, you know, eight of them could convert. Yeah. So you know, that was going to happen. So where this is interesting is I think, yes, it's a risk, but it's an also a very interesting opportunity because you can now shape that conversation. Mm. Before you did, you had no control of it. People were talking about this anyways. You now have the option to control it, manage it, or at least influence it. Yeah. Right? And And for me, that's a risk worth taking. Yes, you will have influences that you work with and uh, you don't want to work with them anymore, but that's okay. You know, that's why you have really tight contracts. We, again, make sure, again, when I talk about influence identification and vetting, contracting, another big part of how we work with influencers, right? Mm -hmm. Because, again, when you think of the value exchange, you make sure that your contracts are tight um, and that you minimize the risk as much as possible. Yeah. No, that's, that's a really good point. One thing I would like to talk about is that I think influence marketing obviously has a lot of value, as we've kind of discussed today, but I still think... Just from what I'm hearing anecdotally, admittedly, admittedly, you know, I haven't I haven't read the full report, which I'm sure provides all of this detail. Um, but I don't think many B2B marketers I've spoken to have influence marketing as a, a sort of core part of their strategy. What would you say to those people? What, how would you kind of get them on board with it? Um, yeah, sure. I mean, our, our survey found that 75% of B2B marketers are already doing in B2B mm. influence, right? So whilst... Yes, if you kind of look at the industry, it, it feels it feels very new and very young. But influencer marketing in some form has existed in the world of B2B from the you know in the world of B2B from the very start. We called it different things. Mm. Word of mouth, testimonials, employee advocacy are not new words. You know, we've done that from the very start of marketing mm. and you know, uh, advertising. So it's it's not new. It's just packaged in a different way it's packaged much more effectively to actually, you know, influence people uh, in, a, in a connected ecosystem, as I said. Um, what I would say is that this is happening already. And for the first time, you have the opportunity to jump on the bandwagon. And if you don't, all your competitors are going to do it anyways. <laughs> yeah. Right. So I think if you're a B2B marketer, unfortunately, or fortunately, you know, this opportunity is here. It's, it's happening around you. Um, and if you don't embrace it, somebody else is, is going to own that conversation, especially when you think about the fact that we are now a digitally native proposition mm -hmm. in the world of B2B. Um, you know, COVID really changed that, as we all know. Mm -hmm. You have to be on these channels and you have to be having these conversations. Um, and there's so many platforms and um, places where you can have this conversation and bring influence in properly. You know, it doesn't have to be an online conversation. It can be offline as well, right? Mm. So, um, 
yeah, do it or somebody else will do it for you. Yeah, <laughs> fair <laughs> enough. Um, so obviously, you're, you know, your title is Global Head of Influence, yes. but I think a lot of marketing departments maybe don't have a, a head of influence. They, they, the thing they've probably got closest to, I'd imagine, is probably the head of social. Yes. Um, although, to your point, you know, influence can be offline as well, so that's not necessarily true. Do you expect to see more heads of influence marketing or do you think it will just become part of a head of marketing role or something yeah sure i think i think it's quite interesting because we are starting to see agencies especially really ramp up their influencer offerings um if you talk to sorry um if you talk to agencies generally what you're seeing is that they're starting to really build their influencer marketing teams and again because influence is not the same as social or pr um, I think a lot of people assume it's mm. the same thing. It's really not. You know, it, it's starting to come into its own. It's real expertise. There's a real craft in it. And we are coming to a point where there are enough people in the industry who have done this for a long time um, to have those roles, right? But what's interesting on the other side is that our clients don't, um, are not necessarily growing a lot of influencer departments, you know? And, you know, we work with the EYs, IBMs, you know, Samsungs of the world. Um, what we're seeing is that we're starting to see marketers really use this as a channel, just like they would, you know, control any other channel mm -hmm. and use these agencies partners to really bring that to life for them. Um, I don't think that's going to change anytime soon either. So if you're a marketer, I'm not saying go set up an influencer department in your company. Uh, it might not be the best use of your, you know, uh, marketing budget. Uh, but you're starting to see agencies really pop up who have that expertise in the world of B2B. Right, because I think that's the other thing. It's 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 not the same. You really have to make sure that your influencer marketing experts understand the world of B two B, and that's why we actually set up a dedicated department. You know, we didn't think that our B two C our arm could actually do this piece of work because the skill sets, the approach, the way of thinking, the people, the talent—they're all very different. Yeah. Um, and if you don't treat it like that you're going to end up with dancing TikTokers, right? So <laughs> it's really important to make sure that you go and, you know, find the right agency, right, you know, and the right team for you. And yes, it could be in social and PR and content and marketing in general, but as long as it's connected to everything else you're doing, it can't sit as a, uh, as a separate silo. Yeah, no, I, I, absolutely. And in terms of, um, you know, the, the influence of specialism with a, within agencies, are, are we also seeing a rise in the number of specialist influencer agencies or is this something that is more just kind of happening at every agency? Yeah, um, we've started to see agencies really build their influencer teams, especially at the big five groups. Um, you know, they will now tell you that they all offer influencer marketing, influence, KOL, whatever you call it, as a core capability. Um, at WPP, it's definitely one of our, you know, big uh, pushes, you will see, you know, WPP has really invested in the space of influence marketing because we believe in the future of the space, especially as a creative transformation company. So it's very much part of our DNA now. And that's the same at any of the big holding companies. You're, you're starting to see agencies really build that force. Um, I think with specialist agencies, again, there's a lot of them in the marketplace today. Um, where I think would be interesting is actually how do marketers have that balance between core specialism and integration. And I think the more CMOs, the more senior marketers I'm talking to in the space of B2B, that's a real challenge for them, right? Do you go with a specialist who understands influence, uh, but is not connected to anything mm -hmm. else, or do you go for an integrated agency? So your B2B agency, and then work with their influencer teams and then really integrate. And I think we're gonna end up in a happy medium. I don't think we have 
we've got that right balance yet, right? Which is why at Ogilvy, we basically said, actually, we need the specialism and we need the integration. Um, you know, so we, so, so for us, I think we found that sweet spot, but I think a lot of agencies are still trying to figure out what that sweet spot is for them. And I think marketers are going to struggle with that as yeah. well for a while till they get that right. Because if you look at the world of B2C, that's exactly what they went through. You had a lot of specialist agencies really set up shop and you had a lot of big brands go to these small specialist agencies who were very good at what they did, but it then wasn't connected to the rest of their marketing. And yep. again, when you think of ROI, if you if you don't connect the doors, you don't get ROI, yeah. right? Influencer marketing on its own is very tough to measure. Um, if you look at it from a from a from a true ROI point of view, you know, and and when I say true ROI, I don't mean reach and impressions. I mean ROAS and actual sales, um, and those outcome based metrics you don't come, you know, you don't get with a specialist agency because it's not connected in. Um, a lot of big brands are now made have now started making that shift to go into a big agency network because they want that ROAS, they want that outcome based measure, you know, measurement um, ROI, and I think B two B spaces still trying to you know figure out where they sit so when you're um you know if you, let's say someone listening is thinking okay this sounds great i should start taking influence marketing more seriously and start implementing it as part of my strategy you can see a world in which very quickly it would just become a sort of bolt-on at the side of their strategy that's not really connected to anything yeah. like you say and then it's let's face it it's not going to be particularly well optimized it's not yes. going to work in the right direction so how do you think marketers listening can get their influencer marketing strategy as a core part of their strategy without it becoming a, a bit on the side. I think you said it. The word strategy mm. is really underrated in the world of influencer marketing. Um, I think a lot of people jump straight into activation, and I see this a lot, right? I think a lot of clients get really excited about having this expert, this celebrity, this employee, yep. this, this, you know, this client become their influencer and is jump straight into an activation where they, you know, create some really good content. And that content's great, to be, you know, to be clear. I, I'm not questioning that content. But I think strategy in the space is really, really underrated as a whole. So if you're a marketer who's starting that journey, spend the time in what we call the design phase. And when I say design, that is your influencer identification, your strategy, your, you know, your influencer strategy, your content strategy, your social strategy, your paid media strategy, um, and actually what your measurement and dashboarding needs to look like before you jump into activation. Um, brands who spend that time, I would recommend at least 40% of your total time in your end-to-end -end campaign being spent on, on design instead of activate. Mm. Uh, most people do it the other way around. Um, and again, nothing wrong with that, but what that means is that you then have this wonderful piece of influencer content that's disjointed from everything else. Um, so your first step is to spend that time in strategy and really, you know, focus on getting that right because if you get that right everything else fits in quite nicely perfect well Raul, i think that's a wonderful place to leave it so thank you very much for joining me and uh hopefully see you again soon thank you very much it was a pleasure bye